Welcome to another episode of Running for the Roses. I'm Ryan Beth Lucas, joined by my partner in crime, Lucas Rohde. Uh, Lucas, a couple days away now from M- M- Memorial Day. How are you, my friend? How's life in, uh, how's life in Nashville? It's very, very good. Excited for the long weekend ahead. The weather here has been honestly beautiful the last two or three weeks. Um, starting to feel feel like summer, but it is crazy. I think a week or three months from tomorrow, we have week zero. So uh, we're about 90 days away from college football, which is crazy. Enjoy the summer. Yeah. I love the summer. It's arguably my favorite, hol- or favorite season, but... Um, it is hard to believe that, yeah, college football is really not that far away. It truly feels like college football is one of those sports now where there's just no off season. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much news, like week to week, whether it's coaching, whether it's NIL recruiting realignment, you know, big 10 commissioners going rogue and signing away title games, which we'll get to in a few minutes that they weren't supposed to like, it's like the NBA, like, it's like. It's like in the office when they had the sign of like, it's been zero days since our last nonsense. Like that's what college football is. It's kind of like a circus in the off season. And I just love it. I'm just here for it. Yeah, no, it's very true. It's just, we're getting kind of like the NFL where there's playing season and the non-playing season. There is really no such thing, but it's great for us because it gives us ample stuff to talk about all right. year, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, all right. On this week's up ep- on this, uh, on this episode of running for the roses, Lucas and I are going to chat. Uh, and go over Pete Dammel's article about the Big Ten TV, uh, some uh, interesting situations there in the Big Ten with a television contract. Kevin Warren, the former commissioner, promising some things that he probably couldn't have promised and probably shouldn't have promised. Uh, and then Lucas and I are going to dive into some non-conference stuff. We're going to go through our best non-conference matchups of the 2023 season. And then we're going to go over um, which teams have the easiest and most challenging non-conference schedules which I think is pretty useful information. Like I was thinking about betting, right? Like if you're looking at over and under with Mm -hmm. win totals, which we'll get to here shortly, like in the next couple months, you're going to want to know like which teams don't have a power five team on their non-conference schedule, which teams have two. Like, I think that's pretty useful information. So, uh, but before we get to that, we're going to jump into some news here that Pete Dammel from ESPN reported uh, last week. He had a really descriptive, really in-depth article on ESPN. encourage everyone to go out and read it. Uh, about an interesting situation in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, obviously, the Big Ten uh, starting a new major television deal with NBC, starting a new deal with CBS. Um, CBS obviously losing the SEC in 2024. That's when the CBS big money from the Big Ten will start. Uh, but we get some games on CBS for the Big Ten this year. But it seems like the Big Ten situation not really settled. Here's from the article a couple key points from ESPN.com. Schools have recently found out they're going to have to pay back nearly $40 million to Fox because Kevin Warren delivered NBC, the Big Ten football championship game in 2026 without the full authority to do so. Schools are going to have to pay back $25 million total for a deal to pay Fox back for lost 2020 football inventory. And then how about this? This is, I think, the most intriguing part of it. Tens of millions of dollars of value in the NBC primetime deal is in flux as uh, new Big Ten Commissioner Tom uh, Petiti uh, has been racing to ensure uh, it keeps much of the original value as possible. Historically, the Big Ten, after the first weekend in November, schools were not required to play night games for a lot of reasons. Health, recovery, campus logistics among them. Lucas, as you might know, NBC paid for a primetime 
7.30 Eastern slates. And I don't think they're too pleased to be getting like Illinois, Indiana in the middle of November. Uh, you're a resident Big Ten expert. You're the, you're the Wisconsin Badger alum. What are your thoughts reading this as we're, like you said, 90 days away from the college football season and seemingly a lot in flux with that television deal? I'm just surprised we didn't hear about this stuff earlier. I mean, NBC's already the last two months has been doing Saturday night Big Ten promos like yeah. on commercials. They even put out casting calls uh, at Big Ten universities asking students to show up uh, to be in these promos. And my thing, it just one, it just shows kind of the lack of, I guess, leadership or trust in leadership that they had in Kevin Warren. We all kind of knew that even if Kevin Warren hadn't left for the NFL, there was a real, there was a very good chance that the Big Ten chancellors and presidents were not even going to extend past his current contract. And a lot of it was he was, wasn't very transparent with them, lacked a lot of communication. It wasn't just them. Uh, in that article, too, like coaches like Tom Izzo, for example, were really, really upset that they were not uh, consulted at all on this deal. They were not happy that a good chunk of Big Ten basketball games this year are going to go on to streaming. Uh, same with uh, a few football games. But to me, it's just did these presidents and chancellors just not did they not read the contracts, though, too, or see right. them? Um when they saw these promos, they knew that there was going to be prime time NBC Saturday night games. Did they think, were they that naive to think, well, they're probably not going to want the last three weeks, the biggest weeks of college football to play night games. Oh, and by the way, I'm sure they don't expect our top brands to play those games either. Cause we, we told them that we're not going to play night games as I mean, Penn state, Michigan. Uh, and I believe, yeah. in Ohio, Ohio state. state. Yeah. Basically have, an unwritten agreement pretty much with uh, the big 10 saying that they will not play late November night games. And there's a lot to do that. They used to be just flat out banned. Now you need permission by both schools, but it's just a, it's just a mess. Um, the thing is though, it, it's not going to fall through. Um, there's too much money on the table and we're already seeing big 10 teams make concessions. Ohio state's going to play a night game, November 11th against Michigan state. And then we just saw yesterday, Michigan state is going to host Penn state uh, in the black Friday night game. However, they're going to be playing it in Ford field in Detroit, um, which is like a three or four hour drive from East Lansing. So people are making do. My thing is, there's still after this season, there's still six more years on this contract and the NBC thing is not going to go away. So are more big 10 teams just going to make concessions, which I'm assuming they're going to have to, it was just kind of a, a cluster from the top to the bottom. I think, yes, Kevin warm to blame the fact that he knew he couldn't uh, sell the big 10 title game and just did it anyway. <laughs> Just, I think you're just kind of like, what the heck? But then also, like I said, on the side with the Big Ten chancellors and presidents, hey, you wanted the biggest TV deal ever for a college conference. These are the type of concessions you're going to have to make if you want top dollar. Everyone's going to be playing Saturday night primetime games in November. The SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, or the Big 12, the Pac-12. They're all going to be doing this, I think. And it's kind of hypocritical. They're going to say we can't play them in November, but yet you're going to retrofit your stadiums 
to hopefully host a playoff game later in the year in December. Um, I think it all gets worked out. I texted uh, our buddy Josh, who obviously has a close affinity with, with USC and asked him what he thought about it. And he honestly was just like, Hey, it's, this is, if this is the, this is first world problems in college football, basically. He's like, I'd still deal with this than the amount of other problems that infiltrate the PAC 12. So in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's a big deal, but it's, I think everyone is happy. Kevin Warren is probably not gone or is, is now gone. And you brought in a guy like Tony Petiti who has, uh, you know, just a huge resume in this right. field. It'll work out. But, yeah, it's definitely not something you want to happen three months before you're about to start the season. Yeah, the not playing night games is was baffling to me. I had never heard of that stipulation or that unwritten agreement. Um, again, I'm out in Arizona. I don't really know a ton about the intra-workings of the Big Ten Conference. Like, I remember in 2021, Michigan State and Penn State played at, like, I think it was a 3.30 Eastern game. It's bled mm-hmm. in 7, 8 o'clock Eastern. It was freezing. They seemed to play the game just fine. Like, it's it's baffling to me that, like you said, you're going to potentially host on-campus playoff games as early as next season uh, in December, and yet you don't want to play a night game. And the other thing is how, all of these fan bases and teams complain that they're always on big noon kickoff, right? <laughs> like, don't all these fan bases just say, like, why are the games always at noon? We want to play later. And now you're like, well, you have 730 now. They're like, no, actually – it's like every team in America wants to play a 3.30 Eastern. Like mm-hmm. every team wants the 3.30 time slot. It's the perfect time slot because you have a ton of time to tailgate, but it's not too cold or, you know, whatever. You have time after the game. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy to me that this is not settled. I mean, usually these TV deals get announced years in advance, right? Mm-hmm. So you have time to work out the little logistics. And the fact that we're here less than 100 days to the start of the season. You know, NBC has week one. It's West Virginia against uh, Penn State. They've announced several, like you said, uh, Ohio State, Michigan State in November, uh, and then Michigan State hosting Penn State at Ford Field uh, on Black Friday, one of two Black Friday games, Iowa, Nebraska, the other one also um, on NBC. Interesting to see how it will shake out. Um, Interesting to see. I mean, Lucas and I are just nerds for this. You know, like we love the where's the game going to be on television, what channel and what draft is going to, you know, and and we're going to talk non-conference games here shortly. But, um, yeah, I mean, you would think coaches would be on board for like night games, get the fans liquored up, great atmosphere, Penn State wide out, like whatever. They'd be on board for this. Right. Mm -hmm. And Pac-12 coaches have complained about this for years. Right. Like we hate playing these games at 738 o'clock because if we're on the road, you know, get back to campus till three, four in the morning on Sunday. It's tough for our players. But I mean, this is what college football is now. It's a business. You know, mm-hmm. the the uh the notion that these conferences are going to do what's best for fans or athletes or coaches is just not the case. They're gonna do what's best for their pockets. And that's what that's what you've signed up for, unfortunately. So we'll see. Yeah. And I think that the Pac-12 thing is funny because I do think starting next year, part of this problem has helped because I just can see them putting U- USC and UCLA yeah. as one for sure 7.30 or 8.30 night games on NBC every year um, because they obviously don't have well, the... You know, here's the other thing though, right? Is I, From what I understand, NBC gets third pick every week, right? In the TV it, deal because Fox has one. I know that. Like Fox yes. has their choice. 
And I thought CBS had the second game. Maybe I'm mistaken. I think they flip. I think okay. them in CBS switch off. Um, right. It's it's obviously it's different this year because CBS are only they're only getting seven games this year because they are still contractually obligated to have an SEC game on at yeah. three thirty. But next year, I think it flipped. But I could be wrong. I don't know. That stuff is. I find that stuff incredibly interesting, but I have no idea how it all works. My my point is. You have six to eight really true elite brands in that conference when USC, UCLA come in, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State, you know, whatever. You only have four dates to fill, four of those night games in November every year. We know USC is probably going to get one, right? Like maybe Ohio State, Michigan alternate years, they get one. Penn State, Wisconsin alternate years, they get one. You know, maybe like minnesota or iowa or another team has a really nice four or five year run they take like it's i don't think it's going to be a huge deal i think you're going to see the big brands play like every other year a 730 game on nbc so yeah but really good reporting from pete bamel really good and interesting article uh mm-hmm. anything else on that before we move on no just to kind of count your point like there's just way too much money on the table like i think nbc is paying like 380 million dollars a year for this package so they'll they'll make it work yeah. Um, I did think it was funny that they did have to pay Fox back for, for the Big Ten title. Game, Forty million—that's not chump change. No, and, you know that's like three to four million a school. I don't know how. I don't know how that money gets paid back. Like, I don't know how the school when the schools get their money when they don't. Like, what is does that come from? Like the Big Ten fund, or are they going to like? You know, is Tony Petiti like calling up like the Rutgers ADV being like, hey, I need that $3.8 million back. I know <laughs> yeah. you probably sent it on like women's swimming, but we need it back. You know, that second waterfall you put in the in the football yeah. locker room. Just yeah. we're going to have to sell that. We're going to have to sell yeah, that. But like, put that up I on will, eBay. I will say one point and then we can move on. That I did find interesting was the reason why they had to pay Fox back is so the Big Ten, I guess, doesn't technically own their tv rights they the big 10 network apparently owns since 2016 owns all the games and then they just license them out to these other networks and the big 10 network which is, is owned by fox which is why so it's wild yeah. to me. so that is why fox was fox was basically negotiating negotiating all these deals for the big 10 because they technically owned all of this property which that i did not know and that is uh, bonkers to me if we didn't think these networks were too intertwined with with these conferences well they literally are like fox literally owns the big 10 for football pretty much yeah that was so interesting to read that they were, they were like they're like yeah fox executives are sitting in as as big 10 is, ne- is negotiating with nbc you're like this is weird this is weird <laughs> Uh, yeah, more to come on that. We'll see how that. We'll see. I'm, I'm guessing there will be news over the summer at breaks that we can talk about as well. Uh, all right, let's get to some on the field stuff here. Non conference games. Uh, I texted Lucas. I said, let's each give our top eight non conference games that we're most looking forward to. Could be most intriguing. Doesn't have to be you know big brand versus big brand. Doesn't have to be power five versus power five. Games that you're most intrigued by, that you're most looking forward to coming into the 2023 season. Lucas, I would say on average, this is probably an average year for non-conference games. Like, we don't have a true, like, top five headliner, right? Like, I think two years ago, we had Georgia Clemson in Charlotte, which was, like, two top five teams in the country. Like, 
there's not one of those, but I think it's a pretty deep and solid slate. Uh, before we go into our top eight, I'm going to give my three honorable mentions. So these were these were just missing the cut for me. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is Pitt at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, backyard brawl. Uh, I love that these two teams are continuing on this rivalry. And I think as we get more into realignment, we get more into, uh, you know, Texas. This could have been a blueprint for Texas and Texas A&M, right? Like, you know, every five years, play two, play twice, right? Play a home and home, something like that. So uh, Pitt goes at West Virginia at West Virginia this year. West Virginia we'll get to later. They have two pretty interesting uh, non-conference games as well. Uh, my other two honorable mentions, Utah at Baylor. Utah at Baylor week two. Utah plays Florida week one. I'll talk about that game here in a little bit. Uh, and then they go to Baylor week two. You know, we'll see what Utah looks like. That could be a statement game for them on the road. Uh, Baylor year four under Dave Aranda. Down year last year after a Big 12 championship. Kind of Baylor's first true test against the reigning Pac-12 champion. And then one near and dear to uh, Lucas Rohde's heart. Uh, Wisconsin at Washington State. Mm. Um, first real test for Luke Fickle. Uh, Washington State beat Wisconsin in Camp Randall last year. That was kind of the game where everyone's ears perked up a little bit. I think that was a week or two before Illinois. And yeah. uh, that was like, uh, oh, what? How, wait, you know, wait a second. What's what's going on there over, the, over there at, uh, you know, with the Badgers? And uh, so uh, Washington State gets a return game. Badgers go up there. First real test for Luke Fickle. Uh, Cam Ward, really, really good for Washington State. Should be uh, a fun one there. Uh, Lucas, any thoughts on those three games here before we get, or any honorable mentions you might have had? Yeah, so um, one, I almost put in the one that you had, uh, uh, Utah at Baylor. Uh, You mentioned, you know, that's going to be coming off like a – is that literally after Florida plays or uh, Utah plays? Yeah, Utah has Florida on Thursday, August 31st, so week one but Thursday, and then at Baylor on the following Saturday. That's brutal, considering that they also have to play a full nine-game Pac-12 yeah. schedule. Um, I think one thing that is intriguing with some of these in the Pac-12, because I had a few of them, uh, of some of these non-conference games, I just think if you're in the Pac-12, you can, if you want to qualify for the college football playoff, you cannot, uh, you cannot lose one of these non-conference games because I just don't, I just don't, I just don't see any Pac-12 team going undefeated in conference play um just because it is uh, it, it's a really really good league this year so uh, the fact that utah has two power five uh non-conference games um though i think you could make an argument they might be favored in both of them um i think is really really intriguing i was going to say a couple uh, honorable mentions i had i had uh, north carolina versus south carolina i believe that's a neutral site game in charlotte I think both two intriguing teams both come in, you know, obviously North Carolina has arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the country with Drake may, what are they going to look like with Phil Longo last year was somewhat of a bounce back year. They made it to the ACC title game. And then I think South Carolina is a team that's coming in with obviously a lot of, a lot of hype on how they ended last year, uh, knocking off both Tennessee and Clemson, uh, in back-to-back weeks. And then, um, you know, winning, going eight and five. Shane Beamer has them recruiting at a really, really high level. Um, I think that's one of those games that basically I don't see any of these two teams going to the college football playoff, but you know, winning this game could make the difference between you being a seven and eight win team or an eight 
in or a nine and ten win team. Um, and it should be a fun atmosphere there in Charlotte. Um, another honorable mention, just because I just, I think every game for the first time ever, I think every game that Iowa plays is going to be entertaining because it's 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 the race to three twenty five. <laughs> so I had honorable mention Iowa Iowa State. Um, what I think one of the more underrated rival uh, non conference rivalries um, in college football. Uh, last year, Matt Campbell beat Iowa for the first time uh, since he took over at Iowa State. Um, and, and that was really their maybe their biggest moment last year. It was a down oh, yeah. season for Matt Campbell, for sure. only four and eight. I'm interested to see how they look, if they can bounce back. And then with Iowa, I think we know what they're going to do, but like it's going to be the real first test to see, you know, if Cade McNamara, Eric All, you know, they recently just brought in. Caleb uh, Bryant uh, uh, from Ohio State as a transfer to see if that offense is any different or is at least somewhat better. I think it's that real tough test. So those were a couple of my honorable mentions. That yeah, I, I had um, I had South Carolina, North Carolina, number eight on my list. Mm. So we're kind of similar thinking. Uh, I really like that game. It's two. It's one of the better non-conference quarterback matchups. I, I think. Um, you know, in past years, that opening weekend, like the eventual Heisman Trophy winner has used like a big week one game on like a national mm-hmm. spotlight to like jumpstart the Heisman campaign. You look at Drake May, like that could be like that could be it right there. Right. I know he's got a new offensive coordinator, um, but, you know, you have a big game where you throw for 400, 500 yards, you throw for, you know, three, four touchdowns, you put up 45 and you beat South Carolina like that's a game might be on ABC primetime. Regardless, it's going to be one of the bigger week one games. Like that's a game that could propel you into a Heisman Trophy conversation. Really good quarterback matchup with him and Spencer Rattler. And you know, like you said, two two teams that have some helium here, right? Like they they uh, two teams on the rise. Um, and uh, we'll see what uh, in Charlotte, you know, neutral site game. Uh, I think both fan bases will travel well. So yeah, that'll be a fun one. I have that one number eight on my list. So, all right, Lucas, I'm going to, I'm going to, let's, let's go uh, top to bottom here. Number one, your most intriguing non-conference game of 2023 is. Um, I think this was like an easy one. I think it's the top of probably most people's lists. It was a game that was played last year. Um, And I think Texas at Alabama is, is the most intriguing. That might, you might say, Hey, that's not a, rare that's not a, a rare find or anything like that but i i think it's intriguing for for both sides one this was a game texas probably should have won last year if bryce young isn't amazing in the in that two minute drive to end the game um texas is probably having their biggest win in program history in like a decade um and texas should be loaded this year we talked about the improvement that quinn ewers looks to have made during the spring game but they're also returning guys like Jordan Whittington, Xavier Worthy, um, you know, Jatavion Sanders. Uh, that offensive line should be a lot better. We're, we're expecting that defense to take a step up. And look, talent's never been an issue for Texas, and they should line up really, really well with Alabama. And look, it can Alabama stave off another down, what we consider for them a down season? They had only missed the playoff, I think, for only like the second time in the Saban era. The last time they did that, the next year, they won the national title game with with Mac Jones. So I think we're – but with Alabama's quarterback situation, we have no idea if it's going to be Jalen Monroe. We have no idea if it's going to be Tyler Buckner. Um, 
you know, I think Alabama can get away with average quarterback play. We've seen it in their history. Um, if you have amazing talent everywhere else, you can usually get by. But this is going to be a big game because we saw before Quinn Ewers got hurt in that game last year. He was balling. I mean, he was dicing Alabama up. And so I'm interested if this game were to get into a shootout, will Alabama be able to have enough firepower at quarterback um, to kind of compete with that? It is crazy how now, like, all of a sudden, Texas, we're like, can Alabama hold up against Texas? It's a it's a really weird dichotomy that we see ourselves in heading in this game. Yeah, I have that game number one as well. To me, there's two clear choices for the top two. We'll get to my number two here in a second. Um, but you're right. For all the reasons you said, this is the most intriguing game. It's week two, so both teams will get kind of a tune-up game week one. Texas has Rice. I forget who Alabama plays. Um, this is going to be the is-Texas-back game. Right, this is a great chance for Texas to go into Tuscaloosa night game. It's gonna be seven o'clock Eastern game on ESPN. They already announced it, and you're right. Like they have firepower. You you have Quinn Ewers who was was up and down last year, had a really good spring, kind of held off Arch Manning, and will be the starting quarterback. It could go really good, and they could put up forty points in Alabama and get a huge win on the road and catapult Texas to the top of the Big Twelve and. And, and the top of kind of everyone's minds, right? Steve Sarkeesian's third year. I think on our last episode, we talked about coaches on the hot seat. Like, this is a big year for Sark, right? This could be a, you win the Big 12 and contend for the college football playoff, or the, the wheels fall off, things go sideways, and you're fired in November. Like, those, that's the ceiling and the floor for, for Texas this year, right? Like, so week two in Tuscaloosa is going to set the tone. And for Alabama, you're right. Like, a down year for them is going to the Sugar Bowl, uh, but they haven't won a national championship since, since the COVID year in 2020. You have uncertainty at quarterback. You have uncertainty at wide receiver. You lose Jameer Gibbs. We've talked about Alabama a lot the last couple of weeks, right? Probably not going to be the preseason favorite in the SEC West this year, right? That's probably going to be LSU. So uh, Alabama could also make a statement. You go out there, you beat Texas like 42 to 10, and, and everyone's like, eh. Why do we underrate Alabama, right? We'll, we'll talk about it on, on the pod the next week. Why do we sleep on Alabama? So for that reason, it's the clear number one. It's it's two of the top, what, five, six biggest brands in the sport. Mm-hmm. It's actually a home game. Like, it's a home game in Tuscaloosa at Bryant-Denny. It's going to be really exciting. One of the biggest games of the season, regardless of conference, yeah. not conference. So, uh, all right. No, number two for me, again, a game that was played last year. This is a neutral site game. I have Florida State and LSU, number two. Um, two of the preseason hype teams, like two of the teams that are going to be hyped in July and August in the preview magazines in the top 25. I think this will, these will probably be two top 10 teams, two top 12, 15 teams. LSU ended the season really strong, um, lost to Texas A&M aside. They win the SEC West in Brian Kelly's first year. Uh, they slaughter Purdue in their bowl game. They get to 10 wins. They, you know, uh, they beat Alabama, um, Florida state, same thing, right? You, you started four and you lost three straight, but you end the season really, really strong. You, you get to 10 wins, you beat Oklahoma in the bowl game. You have Jordan Travis back. They've loaded up in the transfer portal. Uh, they got another strong wide receiver transfer commit this, this, this past week, uh, as well. Keon Coleman from Michigan state. You know, Florida State might be the preseason favorite in the in the ACC. Mm-hmm. It's them and Clemson, and LSU is the you know alongside Georgia one of the preseason favorites in, in the SEC. 
So they're doing this game, unfortunately, in Orlando. They did last year's game in New Orleans. And Lucas, do you remember last year's game? Like it was nuts. Like Florida State jumped out big. Mm -hmm. LSU had tied the game. They blew the extra point. Like there was, it was chaos. Everyone's getting ready to fire Brian Kelly one game into his tenure at LSU. And um, so I think for that, like one, the team that wins soar. Like they will, they will take off, right? The with the with the the polls, with the the national conversation. Team that loses, you know, it's a non conference game. No harm, no foul. I like it when teams take on these challenges. But uh, I have Florida State and LSU as my second most intriguing non conference game. Yeah, that was my number two as well for some of the reasons you had mentioned, but also I just find it interesting that they're like the parallels for both these two programs are oddly familiar. Um, they were very familiar with each other last year. Like it was two teams, obviously a big time helmet game, but we had no idea what the hell the expectations were for either of these programs last year. LSU was in their first year under Brian Kelly. Obviously Mike Norvell was in his third year, but we thought a success was probably seven and five, eight and four, if they can get to a bowl game. And now both those teams last year completely uh, uh, succeeded their expectations. And now both of them come in this year, as you mentioned, uh, probably both dark horses to win their respective conferences this season, too. Both have uh, experienced guys coming back at the quarterback position, like Jordan Travis uh, from Florida State, Jalen Daniels um, at, at LSU. I'm excited to watch guys like Jared Verse, who last year we had no idea how good he was going to be coming from the University of Albany, could have gone to the NFL draft, and then you know, seeing guys like Mason Smith come back, he got hurt in that game last year for LSU, uh, one of the premier defensive players uh, in the country, as well as Harold Perkins, who is maybe the best defensive freshman last year. So there's a lot of star power where last year was kind of a little bit of an unknown. And it, it, it's it's kind of crazy how uh, both those teams, and I completely agree, like it's going to set the tone for the rest of their season. Whoever wins this game is going to be the darling of week one. I think, uh, regardless, we're going to do our week one overreaction shows. And I'm telling you right now, one of them is going to be Florida. Whoever wins this game is winning the national championship because yep. everyone's going to be so hyped about it. So, yep. yeah, that was uh, that was my number two, especially because wh whichever one wins, that's such a big win for um, even if you don't win your conference, that's still a huge win to put on your resume for potentially maybe one of these leagues to try to get two teams in this coming year. So I think now there's going to be some variance here. Uh, I will let you go first with your with your number three pick. But I think now, I think those are the clear top two. And I think now we get some variance. So uh, let me hear it. Your third most intriguing game in the non-conference. Um, I am going to go. So I kind of, my three through like eight, I think I could probably switch them up to any order. And sure. I'd be okay. So I'm going to go with one. Uh that I think might you might chuckle a little bit. I'm going to go with Texas A&M versus Miami. <laughs> They're on my list. I think it was five on my list. So go ahead. So this game, if you watched this game last year, God bless you. This game stunk last year. Like it was, it was so bad. We didn't so know bad. how bad both of these teams were. But the fact, when you look back at it now, A&M only scored 17 points. I think the next week, Miami lost. That was I think the next week was they lost to and gave up 45 points to Middle Tennessee State. So that shows you how bad the offense was for uh, 
for A&M. And then Miami, the fact that they lost by eight points on the road to a pretty bad A&M team. Look, it just sucked. But honestly, but it's a fresh start for both of these coaches. But neither one of these coaches, especially Jimbo, can afford to have a bad start to this season. Um, I don't think Cristobal is going to get fired if they go five and seven again, but neither can afford a bad year. And both will have new offensive coordinators to kind of shake things up. Interested to see what A&M looks like under Bobby Petrino and who the hell is going to be calling plays for them. We probably won't know even as the season goes on, but I just think the narratives, there's going to be like 20,000 people at hard rock stadium watching this game. uh, Half of which will probably be A&M fans. Right. So, uh, but I do think it is interesting because I do, even though both these teams struggled, this is going to be a circle game for both of them. Um, be like, hey, if we win this game, we get our season back on track. We we turn around the narrative. We're we're uh, we're not going to have a down year. So that's why it's mine. It's more just the intriguing storylines on there because both these teams should be better, at least talent wise, than what they were a year ago. Yeah, both these teams need to be better. Right, both yeah. these teams didn't make bowl games, in, you know, last year. Like Texas A&M brings in the number one overall class in, in history, right, in the internet recruiting era, and they don't make a bowl game, right? They they go five and seven. Um, I have this at number five on my list, but like you said, intriguing storylines. It's week two, it's a return game, seventeen to nine. A&M won uh, in College Station last year. Hopefully, you bet the under. Texas A&M unders became a thing. Uh, for for us last year, betting wise, um, yeah, I mean this is it's a huge storyline game, right? It's it's going to be week two, so again, each team gets kind of a a, a tune up game, right? You kind of you kind of get your FCS opponent or you get your G five opponent out of the way, uh, and for Jimbo, this will be the first test for the kind of revamped offense. Mario Cristobal, same thing, right? He's got two new coordinators. Jimbo has a, a new offensive coordinator. Um, you know, Tyler Van Dyke, year three at Miami, right? Remember we had the Tyler Van Dyke to Alabama smoke. Like, what does that look like? What is the, what does the offense look like? Right. You don't have, you don't have Josh Gaddis anymore. Um, if Texas A&M loses this game, the seat for Jimbo Fisher will get scorching hot. Like you, you will start to see the rumblings of like, what's the cost of crude oil now? Is it up 4%? Uh Oh, Jimbo. Like you'll start to see, those kind of rumblings. And if I, I, I listen, we've talked about, like, we both think Cristobal, there's, I don't think he gets fired this year. They've invested too much money in him, in that program. I think he does want to build it the right way. Gets his first full recruiting class in, which was like pretty good. Right. Especially along the offensive and the defensive lines. So I don't think it means as much for Miami, but you know, if you're Miami, like what, like you said, we joked about it. What does the crowd look like? Can you get a good crowd? It's not going to be a night game. I don't think because, it's the same week as Alabama and Texas, which gets the seven o'clock Eastern ESPN game. So my guess is it'll be a three thirty game on, on, you know, ABC or ESPN or something like, what does the crowd look like? What's the energy? What's the vibe? Could be a good recruiting weekend for, for uh, Miami. So, yep. I had a number five on my list. I certainly think um, intriguing storylines in that game. And if A&M goes down, it will be a great week for the pod. As far as content goes, it'll be a great, great week last year was scott frost right when are they gonna fire scott frost when are they gonna this year it's jimbo like i still Mm -hmm. i think jimbo enters the season on the hottest seat and every game will be magnified watch them lose their week one game i don't even know who they play watch them like like lose to the fcs or the you know the g5 opponent week one 
Ooh, they play New Mexico. Oh. Hey, New Mexico. New Mexico is trying to play for a pack, uh, a dark horse Pac-12, uh, Pac-12 invite. That's, <laughs> they'll beat Texas A&M, and then you're, they're going to have columns coming out of Albuquerque saying, "See, see, we could take down the SEC." Uh, but no, right, they play. My, uh, go ahead. I will say they play New Mexico, and another intriguing game just because of the names. We have a my we have the Battle of Miamis. In week one, we have Miami of Ohio Ooh. playing Miami, Florida. So Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Never interesting. seen that before. If Miami, Florida loses, they have to go live a week in Miami, Ohio. <laughs> they get to switch. Get to switch. Uh, all right. My number three game in the non-conference is Ohio State at Notre Dame. Uh, week four, a return game. Notre Dame went to Columbus uh, and, and really put up a, a heck of a fight. That was a game that I think I think pretty sure I bet Ohio State and and like mm-hmm. took red last week uh, last year because I did not think Notre Dame would be able to handle it. I remember the Notre Dame defense playing well. Marcus Freeman's first game uh, playing against CJ Stroud. Ohio State got the win uh, this year. Buckeyes travel to South Bend. Really like one of the more intriguing. We don't see Ohio State do this a lot, is what I'm trying to get at, I guess, right? Like, I think they had a home and home with Oklahoma, like, in the mid-2010s. But Ohio State going on the road, true game. It's going to be a a really good crowd in South Bend. This will be the first real opportunity for the new Ohio State quarterback, whether it's Kyle McCord or Devin Brown. Uh, Notre Dame with Sam Hartman. Uh, I know they have a week zero game against Navy and I don't remember their, their early season schedule. Uh, but you know, this will be, it's, it's again, two huge brands. And that's why I put it three. I think it's, it's less about the storylines for me. It's more about Ohio state, Notre Dame under the lights, NBC, like two huge brands. Um, and you know, we've talked about before mm-hmm. big year for, for Ryan day, right? Mm-hmm. This is, You've gone back-to-back years losing to Michigan, back-to-back years not winning the Big Ten West, back-to-back years not winning the conference. That's what you're paid to do at Ohio State. So um, big kind of first test for Ohio State and uh, should be should be a really fun one there in South Bend. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's hard to believe. I mean, just the proximity you know, between Ohio and, and Indiana. This is only going to be the eighth ever meeting between Ohio State and Notre Dame. So like you were just saying that – those, these type of games don't happen very often. Should be an amazing crowd in South Bend. Interesting to see what Notre Dame's offense looks like with Sam Hartman. Um, if they're able to improve what was the 92nd ranked passing attack in uh, in FBS last year. Um, I think they benefit that. I believe this, like you mentioned, this will be Notre Dame's fourth game. I know they play Navy. I think they play Tennessee State and then another G5 team. I, th- I know they play NC State, which will be a decent test for them before playing Ohio State as well. Um, so you can look that, hey, that gives them three games to get in sync. On the other hand, you're going to give Ohio State a couple games to potentially get in sync as well. So um, it, I think it'll be, it'll be, like you said, raucous atmosphere. And for Notre Dame, this is, you mentioned a big year for Ryan Day. This is a huge year for Marcus Freeman, too. They did not start off the year particularly well last season, you know, with losses to, to Marshall and then to Stanford before they really got things kind of going there towards the end. 
And we talked about kind of some spring storylines with them too. You know, how they ended, you know, the recruiting trail. They had a good recruiting class, but it could have been a lot better had they had hang, hung on to a few guys. You know, this, if they want to be kind of the recruiting power that I think some of the fans think Notre Dame should be, these are the type of games you have to win at home against a helmet school, against a team that is going to be competing for a national title this year. Um, because like you said, you don't get these opportunities uh, very, very often. And obviously Marcus Freeman being a former Ohio state Buckeye himself, like sure. There's some personal feelings towards uh, this game too. So yeah, intriguing on both the coaching aspects and one, I think that's September 23rd. So it's a later game uh, in the non-conference um, will easily be probably arguably the biggest game, maybe that weekend, uh, depending on how those teams start off the season. Uh, all right, next up for you, number four for you. Ooh, so this is uh, special for me. So four was uh, Ohio State at Notre Dame, so I'll okay. go to my number five. And that is, we were talking about group of five. Uh, this is our group of five in five or whatever. Uh, Love it. I got, Love it. Here we go. Even though half of it, only half of it's group of five. But I have Tulane versus Ole Miss. Yeah. Um, I think Tulane last year, obviously great story, the way – uh, that they've been able to to re, uh, rebuild that program. Um, and not only did they beat, they beat Kansas State last year, who was the eventual Big 12 champs. They beat them on the road. And then they beat USC um, in the Cotton Bowl last year and then also won the American Conference in between. Michael Pratt is back at quarterback. Um, and they get an SEC opponent on the schedule. Um, and that happens to be Ole Miss. Not sure what the expectations are for Ole Miss this year. Have no idea who's going to play quarterback. Whether that's going to be, uh, whether it's going to be uh, Spencer Sanders. If it's going to continue to be Jackson Dart, which it looked like out of the spring, a lot of options there for Lane Kiffin. I just think offensively, this is going to be a very, very fun football game. Um, and for Tulane, if they want any shot at maybe potentially pulling the Cincinnati, this is a game that they arguably have to win. Um, so I think it's just going to be fun, especially for Tulane. This will probably be some primetime game, whether that's a two thirty or a seven thirty game. Um, I think it's a good spotlight for how Tulane, they just opened a new stadium down there in, uh, in new Orleans too. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. You look at how Ole Miss ended last season. They lost four straight, including their bowl game to Texas tech. Tulane won their last four, including, the American Conference Championship game against UCF and then put up 46 against uh, USC in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, this was one that I, I kind of put down on my initial list. It probably should have been an honorable mention for me. Um, you rarely get an SEC team traveling on the road against a G5 team. Like, you really – this just doesn't happen. And I, I credit Ole Miss for scheduling this. Ole Miss also plays Georgia Tech, which, you know, I, I get isn't the strongest – of opponents, but at least it's another power five team outside of conference, as we'll get to a little bit later in the show. SEC teams really don't do this. They don't really schedule a lot of uh, they don't really schedule a lot of games away from home in the non-conference, and they certainly don't schedule a lot of games on the road against G five opponents. Mm-hmm. So I'm again, I'm guessing this game was scheduled seven, eight years ago. It makes sense. Uh, from a Ole Miss perspective, because it's in New Orleans, which I'm sure is a pretty fertile recruiting ground for them. I'm sure a lot of uh, Rebel fans will travel really well. But yeah, two high-powered offenses 
Ole Miss, where does where do they fit in the SEC West? Mm-hmm. Are they in the same tier as Alabama and LSU? Are they more so in the Arkansas, Mississippi State, Auburn tier? Uh, first real chance for Ole Miss to kind of test themselves against an uh, what eleven win team uh, in Tulane. So uh, definitely a good one for you. Uh, number four for me was Florida at Utah. Uh, week one, this will be Thursday on ESPN, August 31st. This was a game, um, you remember last year, right? The Anthony mm-hmm. Richardson hype train started. Florida beat Utah in the swamp. Cam Rising, I think they were down three, threw an interception in the end zone. And you were thinking like, oh man, Florida, like Napier could get this going fast. Wow, they have a stud at quarterback. They just beat a top 10 Utah team. You know, you know, coming off a Pac-12 championship game, coming off a Rose Bowl appearance, and Florida then loses to Kentucky. We know we've talked about Florida at nauseum on this pod. Um, doesn't quite end the season the way they thought they were. Utah, all they do is come back steady, solid, beat USC at home during the regular season, beat them in the conference championship game, win the Pac-12, go to their second straight Rose Bowl. And now, again, SEC team traveling east. This is I think this is Florida's first time playing a game like East of Texas in like 30 years. Like they just don't do this. Like SEC teams just don't really do this. Um, so kudos to Florida and Utah for scheduling this. I think if I remember, they scheduled this during the pandemic. So not too, too long ago. Um, but yeah, Cam rising back at Utah for his, I think, seventh season. So good for him collecting AARP here pretty soon. Um, Florida, who takes the first snap at quarterback? We don't know. Billy Napier's had about as bad of an offseason as you could as as you could get. But you could all, you know, mitigate that by beating Utah. Like you could go into Salt Lake City. I'm sure there'll be a ton of Gator fans there. It'll be a great atmosphere. It's an actual home game at Utah at Rice Eccles. Uh, it's a standalone game, really. It's like I think uh, the Big Ten has a game that night. I think it's Nebraska, Minnesota as well on Thursday. But like mm-hmm. other than that, there's really nothing else happening. So that'll be a huge attention game. And Lucas, like we mentioned earlier, like the Pac-12 needs to win these games. Like we mentioned it with Utah at Baylor, like Utah can get a win here. Like it's going to be big for the league. It's going to be big for their college football playoff chances. Um, And I'm really intrigued by this one. If Utah goes out and beats Florida by 40, you'll start to see the Napier on the hot seat and stuff, right? If you'll, and if Florida comes out and gets a win, like I think it kind of calms the storm. Yeah, I had this one in my top eight as well. And like I said, for a lot of the things that you had had said too, like we said, both these teams kind of went opposite paths after after that week one win for Florida last year. And yeah, it like you said, for Utah, can't really afford to lose this game. They shouldn't lose this game, in my opinion. Like they shouldn't have lost the game last year after seeing what Florida actually looked like. Um you know, Utah returns a lot on both sides of the ball. I think they're going to come out hungry. I don't think they like the way they went out in the Rose Bowl. Cam Rising gets hurt, and then they basically can't do anything offensively against Penn State in that game. They lose their second consecutive Rose Bowl. So I think Utah is always just going to come with a big chip on their shoulder. It's the first time, like you mentioned, they're getting an SEC team in their house. Um, I've never, obviously, I've never been to Salt Lake, but I know y- y'all have already uh, have always said that the atmosphere there is is pretty good for for yeah, games is very yep. very underrated so should be awesome especially with it kicking off on thursday night i love those they've kind of hit on those last year we had the the backyard brawl and purdue penn state on thursday night last year and then it's awesome this year we're going to get 
another decent Big Ten game, and then this one as well. Um, but yeah, and then who's going to play at quarterback for Florida? Is it going to be Graham Mertz? Is it going to be Jack Miller? Is it going to be someone that's not on the roster currently? We heard Napier said he was going to try to go after another transfer quarterback. Um, I have no idea. I would love to see Graham Mertz light up Utah as a Wisconsin fan. I would love to see it. Um, not sure it's going to happen, but yeah, I had that one in my top eight as well. Um, one of many, I think, really intriguing uh, non-conference games that the Pac-12 has scheduled this year. Yeah, for sure. All right, where do you uh, where do you got next? So I will say in the Pac-12, uh, this one was after Tulane, Ole Miss. I had Oregon going on the road at Texas Tech. Interesting. Okay, um, not on my list. Go ahead. Yeah, so Oregon, obviously, really nice year one under Dan Lanning. Both of these programs had really nice year ones under their respective head coaches, Texas Tech. Went seven and five in the regular season. They crushed Ole Miss um, in their bowl game to finish eight and five. There's a lot of positive momentum around Joey McGuire. That was a hire that you know some people were a little hesitant on because he had no head coaching experience um, or even coordinating experience at the at the Power Five level. Um, but I think it's interesting. Tyler Shuck, who's going to be the, the starting quarterback for Texas Tech, was formally transferred from Oregon. Uh, to play uh, in Texas Um, and also want to see what Bo Nix does. Kenny Dillingham isn't there. We know both of his best years as a collegiate athlete was when Dillingham has been his offensive coordinator. How are they going to look like? And once again, like we said, teams of the Pac-12, if they want to go to the playoff, I do not think can afford to lose a non-conference game this year just because I don't think the road, I just don't see anyone going undefeated in that league. Um, and Lubbock is just uh, one of those other places. Ask Texas about it. It's just it, it's where usually upsets tend to happen, um, even if you're the better team. So once again, it's just two teams who I think have a lot of expectations. I think Texas Tech, um, some people are looking at them as maybe a potential dark horse to finish near the top of the, the Big 12. Um, and once again, I think this is going to be a fun passing, good quarterbacks, um, and just a very inner, it'll feel like a very typical, like big 12 type of type of game. Yeah. That's what I was going to hit on. I mean, a lot of points going to be scored. Bo Nix coming back to Oregon, I think was a surprise. Um, and I, and I think it's a really good thing for the PAC 12. It's a good thing for Oregon. It's a good thing for Dan Lanning. Uh, a lot of points going to be scored in this one. A lot of plays It's going to be, it's going to be really fun. Uh, this wasn't one of the games I had. I, I just, I think Oregon's just going to be too good for Texas Tech. I could be wrong. Like you said, it's a tricky place to play, right? Lubbock. It's not an easy place to win. The, the, um, I have two games left on my list. Both are Pac-12 teams. So the first one I'm going to touch on is, is Nebraska at Colorado week two. Um, I'm less intrigued by Colorado at TCU. But what I am intrigued by is first-year head coach Matt Rule wanting to do things the right way, wanting to you know play to tradition and bring the fullback back and like really you know get with the alumni and the boosters and whatever. And then Dion coming off of what most likely will be a loss to TCU. Like I don't know, who knows? Maybe Colorado beats mm-hmm. TCU, and then again it's just off the rails Dion stuff, right? Uh, this is week two. It's probably going to be a big, uh, big noon kickoff. Two huge brands, two former Big 12 kind of rivals. Um, and this is going to be Dion's first home game 
I was reading that like the average ticket price is like four hundred dollars. Like it's just oh a, it's going to be a zoo there. It's going to be a great atmosphere, even if it's a ten a.m. local start. And this will be the first test for Matt Rule in Nebraska. Like this is, I think it's two intriguing teams. Like what do each of these teams look like in year one? Right, Nebraska is probably going to have Jeff Sims at quarterback. Um, they're going to run. I mean, watching the Nebraska spring game, they ran all kinds of offense. They ran under center stuff at the fullback and the I formation. They ran spread stuff, no huddle. And then with Dion, it's it's Shadur Sanders, it's, it's you know Travis Hunter, it's Quamani McLean. It's a brand new roster. And again, like we're going to find out really early with Dion in Colorado if this is going to work. The the Pac-12 did Colorado no favors, and Colorado did really itself no favors with this non-conference. Right, you go, you go at TCU week one, Nebraska week two. I think you have also Oregon and USC um, before the middle of October. So we're going to find out quickly. Like, is can you construct a roster with eighty percent transfers in a year, or does the Matt Rule approach work? So. Uh, Colorado's in a couple intriguing non-conference games, but I, I had this one, I think number six on my list. Gotcha. Yeah. I did not have this. This one was close to making. I actually had Colorado at TCU, but no, I think I love the way, uh, you kind of lined it up because Ryan, I think this is, this is your matchup. Cause you've been a big Matt rule guy last year. You were calling him to Nebraska. A lot of stakes in this one for Yes. A lot of stakes in this one for me. And I loved how you set that up, how, you know, Matt Rule likes to do things the right way. And then you have Theon on the other side. <laughs> um, I, we should, I wish we, I, we forgot to also mention too, if you heard Pat Narduzzi's thoughts on, uh, on Dion, oh, yeah. maybe we'll talk about that later. But no, I think, yeah, like you said, we're going to, we're going to know a lot about Colorado. I mean, they get TCU, who I think is going to be really good again this year. But you mentioned what's the team going to look like? Are they going to have how many players are they even going to have? They right. still have like what twenty ish scholarship spots that they can. I think still they're fill. around like I think they're around sixty five or seventy. So I think they're 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 around like fifteen ish available scholarships. Available scholarships, yeah. How? No idea what that uh, roster is even going to look like until fall camp starts. What type of team are they going to be? Are they going to even have an identity? by that point it it takes a while to forge that especially when you have all these guys coming from have no history being with Colorado or anything like that and you mentioned kind of that murderer's row for their schedule if they don't fill all up 85 are they going to have enough depth to really even make it through that type of stretch where you know you're down to maybe a couple of guys your last couple of guys at a certain position but you know I think yeah, it'll probably be their second straight big noon kickoff probably going to get a lot of that with Dion, And like you said, if they start 0-2, let's say they start 0-2, what if they get their their butts whooped in both games? Does the the Dion thing start to wear off? Does he kind of cool his stuff? Because I think with Dion, with a lot of people, I don't think we're necessarily put off by maybe the, the stuff he's doing, but it's how he like represents it or how he discusses these like when he's on McAfee laughing when they were talking about cutting players like like he just took a dude yeah, called him furniture away. yeah called him furniture said we got to move some old furniture to get new furniture these are so, kids these are kids with like families I'm sorry go on. yes but it. no Can't that should be a really really fun game I'll just add on since we're already talking about Colorado I had Colorado at TCU really for a lot of those same things what are they going to look like 
But I think also on, on TCU's end, I'm interested to see them with, uh, with Chandler Morris, that quarterback. A lot of people said, you know, he won that starting quarterback job last year over Max Duggan. He got hurt in that game at Colorado last season. But, you know, you read, I think it was Bruce Feldman did a, an article on The Athletic about Chandler Morris. Everyone, all the sources within that program said Chandler Morris won that job easily. Um, he was head and shoulders better than Duggan was going into the season. So I'm excited to see them and just see how TCU handles now really high expectations. I don't think they're going to, I don't think they should be expected to go back to the college football playoff, but they're going to be with Oklahoma, with Texas and a couple of those other schools to probably be back in the big 12 championship game. Um, yeah, I'm just excited for that because we know there's just going to be such a big hype train around Dion that I'm all for it. It brings more attention to a program that has been dormant for a long time. So now we can see finally in those first two weeks if Dion's able to back any of it up. Yeah, if they go two and zero, like I am just gonna have such egg on my face. I don't even know if I can show my face on the pod. You might have to do a solo pod if they beat Nebraska and they beat TCU. I don't know what I'll do. Uh, well, <laughs> week three, the week three preview. I'm just here by myself and be like, yeah, Ryan yeah. is uh, taking a leave of absence uh, yeah. from the pod for just a little bit. But I might, I might have to take a self-imposed suspension. If I if they go if they go two and zero and beat and beat Nebraska and TCU, all right. Last game on my list. It's it's I have it ranked number seven. Uh, Washington at Michigan State. Washington, a little bit like Florida State and LSU, I think is going to get a lot of hype. Uh, they beat Texas in their bowl game. Uh, they went they won ten games, um, and Michael Penix is getting a little bit of draft hype, like a little bit of like, hey, don't forget about Michael Penix kind of hype, right? Um, the transfer from Indiana had a really good first year in Seattle. Uh, so intrigued by Washington, right? It's, it's a return game. Washington beat Michigan State last year in Seattle. Washington goes to East Lansing this year. And I think for Michigan State, like that's a program that went to a New Year's Six Bowl in 2021. Mm-hmm. And last year... Wheels fell off a little bit with Mel Tucker. And then Peyton Thorne entered the transfer portal, transferred to Auburn. And Keon Coleman transferred to Florida State. And, like, the, you know, Mel Tucker got the big extension, right, after 2021. And interested to see what Michigan State looks like, right? Can they eke themselves into the Penn State conversation? Or are they more in the Indiana Rutgers conversation, right? Uh, this will be, I mean, this will be the last year with Big Ten to, with with divisions. Maybe that's a good thing for them. Maybe it's not. So, interested to see what Michigan State looks like year f- four under uh, uh, Mel Tucker. Yeah, year four. And then you know Washington, like you win this game big. It's a really good non conference road win. You go into conference play with some momentum. Uh, this game is week three. Um, so really, like week three from my notes has Pitt, West Virginia, Minnesota, North Carolina, and then uh, this one as kind of the marquee games. Uh, week three traditionally kind of a down week for non-conference games. That's when the SEC starts play as well. Some some conferences get going. So uh, yeah, Washington and Michigan State on my list. I think two kind of intriguing upper tier Power Five teams. Uh, Michigan State's a big year for Mel Tucker, and and mm-hmm. this could set the tone for that. Yeah, and like you mentioned too, this was a this was a game last year when I mean Washington absolutely kicked the crap out of Michigan State, and we're like, oh whoa, yep. <laughs> uh, Washington might be pretty dang good. 
remember betting Michigan State. I bet Michigan State in that game. That was one of my picks. I was like, oh, I don't think I, I think I was super high Michigan State last year. I was just a complete egg on my face. Yeah, did not work. They uh it was and it was such a fall from grace. I mean, it just showed how good uh Kenneth Walker was and meant to that team the previous year. And you mentioned Peyton Thorne and Keon Coleman are gone. They also lost Peyton Reed. Uh, who went to the NFL was a third round pick for the Green Bay Packers this year. So, uh, no idea what to expect. And the thing was, was Peyton Thorne and Keon Coleman both left this past spring. They were both penciled in as the starters, started the spring games. So now you're kind of starting from scratch all the way here in fall camp. And I don't know. I just I don't love the vibes going on at Michigan State with the amount of players that are transferring out. You saw. I think it was a few months ago, Mel Tucker, they fired their director of recruiting, Salid Khalif, um, because they wanted to revamp all of that. It just feels like it feels like the stuff that happens the year before a coach has a really, really bad year. And maybe we could be wrong. Maybe they're able to uh, you know, kind of rally the troops with, with everything that's, hey, the guys that are here are staying here. And that's why, like you mentioned, that's why I think this bait, this game is also high enough. Because even if they don't win this game, I think Washington will probably be favored by, I don't know, maybe like over a touchdown, probably on the road at East Lansing. Even if this game is competitive, I think maybe that's something you can build off of if you're Michigan State. Because right now, I mean, I my expectation for Michigan State is probably a bowl game is probably a successful season for them with the schedule that they have. And so, you're paying Mel Tucker a lot of money to go to a bowl game. Yep. You're paying Mel Tucker a lot of money for 7-5. Well, and if they go five and seven, that's three. You're paying a guy eight and a half million dollars, and he's got he's had a losing season three of his four years there. If that if that happens this season, yeah, so we'll see. Well, and it all starts really with that non conference game. Yeah, hundred percent. Any other non conference games you had uh, on your list you want to chat before we kind of move on? I did not. We covered all the ones I have, yeah. including my uh, my honorable mentions. So. One of the things uh, that I did in, in prep for this pod is I went through each Power 5 team schedule and I, I looked at who are the toughest non-conference schedules and who are the easiest non-conference schedules. So I went kind of conference by conference. And when we look at teams that have really challenging non-conference schedules, right? I'm going to go through conference by conference teams that play at least two Power 5 opponents, right? ACC has eight of them. Eight of the 14 teams in the – now, it's a little wacky because some of those teams play Notre Dame. But listen to some of these schedules. Not This is just non-conference in the ACC. Clemson plays at South Carolina, also play Notre Dame. Clemson-Notre Dame is another one we, we, we could have mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame beat Clemson last year in South Bend. Clemson um, gets them in uh, Death Valley uh, this year. Florida State, LSU, like we chatted, they also play at Florida in the season – Louisville plays Indiana, Notre Dame, and Kentucky. North Carolina has South Carolina, Minnesota, and then I I put Appalachian State as well. Kind of a tough G5 game uh, in addition Mm -hmm. to two Power 5 teams. Pittsburgh plays three Power 5 teams in the non-conference. They play Cincinnati at West Virginia at Notre Dame. Georgia Tech, you know, just – what are you doing, Georgia Tech? (laughs) At Ole Miss and then hosting Georgia. Georgia Tech plays Georgia every year, and they're like, you know what, let's go. We want more SEC teams on schedule. Uh, Virginia plays Tennessee in Nashville, which will effectively be a home game for Tennessee, and at Maryland. Virginia Tech plays Purdue at Rutgers. 
and at Marshall. Uh, Big 12 here real quick. We'll, I'll go through the rest of the leagues, and then I'll, I'll toss it back to you, Lucas, for some thoughts. Uh, Texas Tech at Wyoming week one, which is tough, and then Oregon. West Virginia plays at Penn State and Pitt. Uh, in the Big Ten, Purdue plays at Virginia Tech. They host Syracuse. In the Pac-12, uh, we talked about Washington playing at Michigan State. They also opened with Boise State at home. Boise finished the 2022 season really strong. Utah, weeks one and two. Florida at home at Baylor. Colorado, weeks one and two at TCU and Nebraska. South Carolina uh, in the SEC. South Carolina plays North Carolina and Clemson. North Carolina is in Charlotte. Clemson is at home in Columbia. And then Florida plays at Utah in addition to their annual crossover with Florida State. Lucas, anything jump out when I when I mention some of the toughest non-conference schedules? Yeah, a couple of things. One, the I understand the ACC with some of those teams playing too because they only play eight conference games, so I actually give them credit right. for trying to play at least 10 Power 5 teams a year. Unlike kind of their neighboring conference, I think there's only a couple of uh, like Florida's one of them. I there's, think two. There's, there's two. There's two that play yeah. they and they only play an eight-game conference schedule. The rest is I mean, just kablooey. Like, for example, like, I get it. Georgia was supposed to play Oklahoma this year, but because Oklahoma's coming to the SEC, they canceled it. But, I mean, UT Martin, Ball State, UAB, and then Georgia Tech um, towards the end. But uh, we'll, kudos. We'll get to the easiest schedules. We will get there, and yes. I will talk about the SEC. Yes. Um, but, no, just kind of, I think, but if you're a program like West Virginia, Look, I, I'm all for people that want to do tough schedules. It's going to benefit you, I think, way more starting next year um, when you can have one or you know two or three losses potentially in making the playoff. But if you're West Virginia and you've been kind of teetering on bowl eligibility the last four of the five years, um, and your head coach is on a massive hot seat this year, can't say I'm sure he was thrilled that he has to play Penn State and Pitt. Um on the same, I mean, going to Happy Valley, probably going to be a raucous atmosphere. It's the Saturday night game in early September. Um, and then you have to play Pitt, who was had a really nice year under Pat Narduzzi. Actually, obviously beat West Virginia, but then ended up winning nine games. Um, and then you got to play uh, a pretty tough Big 12 schedule. Uh, so I think they're – but then again, then you have uh, – I think you just – you kind of have to balance it. I think if you're some of these programs, like you mentioned, like Georgia tech, if I had to play Georgia every year, like I would not schedule. Why? Yeah. I would not, Why would you schedule any more power five teams no. in the, in the non-conference? No. Why? No. I, I, I know why now the ACC continues to struggle outside of Clemson, right? You, you look at what these teams do in the non-conference, like Florida state's playing LSU, Florida state, if Florida State played, you know, a, another G5 team there, everybody would, would understand it, right? You already play Florida every year, mm -hmm. right? North Carolina playing South Carolina, Minnesota, and Appalachian State. You know, Louisville with a first-year coach. You play Kentucky every year. You scheduled Indiana, and you get Notre Dame, right? Virginia Tech, you're two under, under Brent Pry. You won three games last year. You go Purdue at Rutgers and at Marshall. Why is Virginia Tech playing a road game at Marshall, right? Like, we talk about this. Like, why do these ACC teams, we saw it, we see it every year, right? Wake played at Army two years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we've seen all these, you know, Virginia Tech played, I think, at Old Dominion last year, right? Like, why do these UNC AC, last like Virginia, year, 
UNC played at App State and at Georgia State last year. Yeah, <laughs> right. Virginia plays Tennessee in Nashville and then plays at Maryland, right? Like, <laughs> it's 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 hard like these struggling ACC teams you you're already not that great and then you play additional now I commend these teams like I would much rather you know potentially watch the end of a Virginia Maryland game than like a Virginia versus like Rhode Island game or a Virginia versus like you know insert FCS team here right I I appreciate but that's why you don't see ACC teams other than Clemson making the college football playoff Right. Because it's like Florida State, you don't get rewarded by playing LSU. You just don't like in the four team era. If you're undefeated, you're going to be in the playoff. Mm -hmm. If you're in a power five conference, if you have one loss, it's a pretty good chance. But if you have two losses, you're not going to get in over a one loss conference champion or a one loss team. You're just you're just not right, especially if that team comes from the SEC. So um and, you know, one thing that caught my attention was Washington and Florida. I'm sorry, Washington and Utah. These are two teams in the Pac-12 that are supposed to be upper echelon teams that are challenging themselves in the non-conference, right? Washington State doesn't have to schedule Boise State. Everyone knows how good Boise is. You know, you could schedule San Jose State. You could schedule Colorado State. You open the season at home against Boise State, then you go at Michigan State. In Utah, you know, in addition to having to play – you know, at USC this year, they have to play UCLA this year. Um, and, and, you know, nine conference games, they're going to play 11 power five teams, including one on the road in Baylor who won their conference two years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I commend Utah for doing this, but you're just not rewarded in this era of college football. No. Um, and that is, and it's the rare year too, that Utah is not playing BYU too. They right. didn't play them last year or this year. But when they get that series, I think that series is supposed to resume next season. Are they going to, you know, does Utah smart up? Do they schedule another Power 5 team that year too? Because um, I get it, your fan base wants to see you play these games. But at the same time, you're also like, hey, we, we also want to make sure that we're, we're playing and potentially setting ourselves up for national championships, which right now that's scheduling. With our current system, you're not. But like we said, Maybe starting next year, you'll see some of these teams who schedule like this. Hopefully, they get rewarded um, if they win or maybe drop one of these games. But I guess we'll see. All right. So, easiest non-conference schedules here. And, again, we talked about this at the top of the show. If you're talking about if you'd like to bet college football, right, like this kind of information might be important as you're looking at early season. You know, if you're looking at win totals here in the month of May, like us did, uh, you know, degenerates are, uh, Boston college does not have a power five team on their non-conference. They play Northern Illinois, Holy cross army and Yukon all at home. And again, if you're Boston college, like that's music to Jeff Hathley's ears. That is, that is, should be four wins at the very least you're getting three wins. And now all you need are two or three ACC wins to get to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. Uh, TCU, I put uh, as an easy non-conference schedule, they have Colorado, SMU, and Nichols. Oklahoma, again, like Georgia, had the home-and-home canceled. Oklahoma has Arkansas State, SMU, and at Tulsa. Uh, So no Power 5 teams for Oklahoma. Michigan has East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green, all at home. 
Second straight year, Michigan does not have a Power 5 non-conference opponent on the schedule. They canceled the home-and-home with UCLA. They didn't put anything else on the schedule. Really bad for Michigan. I'm sorry. It's just really poor for Michigan. But if the committee's not going to penalize them for that, and if they go undefeated or have one loss and they win the Big Ten, they're in. So who cares what you play in the (laughs) non-conference? Pac-12, Oregon State, they get at San Jose State, UC Davis, San Diego State, UCLA – uh, again, was supposed to play Michigan in a home and home. They have at San Diego State, Coastal Carolina, and NC Central. Now we get to the SEC. Uh, Georgia, Lucas mentioned the schedule. UT Martin, Ball State, UAB, Georgia Tech. Tennessee gets Virginia in Nashville, which will be basically a home game for Tennessee. Uh, they get Austin P, UTSA, and UConn. UTSA might be a little frisky. Good, yeah. Like, that's a pretty good, I think, what, Conference USA team. Yeah. And, or no, uh, they're in the American this year. Oh, yeah, they're that's right. They got moved to the American. And what, Frank Harris is back at quarterback, right? Yes, yes. So it's kind of interesting. But, um, again, Tennessee, uh, you know, this is a lot of what SEC teams do. They schedule home and homes on a neutral site, right? Like Georgia last year played Oregon in Atlanta. Well, that's a home game for Georgia, right? <laughs> Alabama for years would play games in Atlanta and Dallas, right? And not do true home and homes. This is how the SEC kind of does things. Uh, Ole Miss, Mercer at Tulane, Georgia Tech, UL Monroe, and then Auburn uh, with first-year coach Hugh Freeze, UMass at Cal, Samford, and New Mexico State. Um, You basically have two FCS teams because UMass is pretty much like an FCS team at this point. Yeah, and you're playing – Arguably the worst Pac-12 team in the Cal. <laughs> but you know, again, if you're Auburn, like that's you play Alabama and Georgia every year. Like mm-hmm. I don't blame Auburn for not scheduling a really tough non-conference schedule. You play Alabama and Georgia every year. You know, like why? You know, for Hugh Freeze's first year, this is a perfect first get for mm-hmm. for Jeff Hathley and kind of a hot seat year. Getting Army, getting UConn, and getting Northern Illinois and Holy Cross. Like that's what you want. Michigan, like I don't know why. What excuse you have? You know, I get that you sell out every game no matter what. I get that you're going to be on ABC or Fox every week no matter what, basically. I just think it's ridiculous that you don't schedule a non-conference Power 5 team. I just think yeah. it's ridiculous. Like, why, why would we not want to see UCLA at Michigan instead of essentially like East Carolina or UNLV at Michigan or Bowling Green at Michigan? It's frustrating. I'm not sure why they gave the reasoning for canceling that. Um, it wasn't because UCLA, it wasn't because UCLA was coming to the conference because it would have ended this year before they joined. So it wouldn't have interfered right. with any future schedules or anything like that. But no, I, the only thing I can see is maybe they had it scheduled and they were at UCLA this year and they wanted to guarantee that they would get seven home games because this year the Big Ten East only gets four of the four of their nine conference games will be at home. So maybe that was the reasoning, but I have no idea. It's, it's kind of, it, it's annoying. Um, but yeah, you know, you, like you said, they're not going to get punished for it. So they're not going to get cared. They did the same thing last year. Um, yeah. I was going to say another one in the SEC was Kentucky, um, which like we were talking about this, Kentucky's smart with this. They know who they are and they know what they're trying to do, but obviously they do play at Louisville to end the year, but before that they have Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, and Akron. Um, 
should be able to get at least three, three of those four. Um, right. If they're playing well. Right. Um, yeah. Any, <laughs> anything else before we uh, wrap up? <sighs> no. Uh, but after the, the news with the big 10, um, was just really, really happy to look into, to games. Um, I'm excited for, um, I think it's this coming Wednesday. Most of the major networks are going to be announcing all their the first three weeks. I think it's weeks one through three. They're going to be announcing all of the kickoff times and things like that. So we'll finally have times and you know to look forward for certain games and what networks. So I'm really, really excited and looking forward to that as the nerd that we both are when it comes to college football, that we're excited to see what right. network and what time they play at. Uh, so I'm excited. And once again, too, just – Signing off, I want to thank everybody who's been listening to us. If you can, please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, And also follow us on Twitter um, so we can give you episode updates. You can follow us at Running running for Roses on Twitter. Sometimes I have to catch myself. But someone already had Running for the Roses apparently on Twitter, so we couldn't use it. Gosh dang it. It's always usually people that have like seven followers and haven't tweeted in like 14, like four years that yeah. you're just like, okay, can I, can I have my name, please? Can you, can I just, have my... <laughs> all right, Lucas, appreciate the time, man. Uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks, man. Uh, for Lucas Rody, I'm Ryan Baffalucas. Thank you for listening to Ryan from the Roses. Uh, have a great night, everyone.